you pray with me? Father God, we confess to you this morning that we are a needy people. Uh, we need you. We need you to, to meet us where we are. Uh, we need you to uh, change us and transform us. Uh, we need you to change our affections and our desires uh, from the things of this world to you. And so I pray that you would do that uh, this morning. Uh, God, you are our one defense. You're our righteousness. Any, any good in us is from you. And so we give you thanks uh, this morning. God, I pray for the people here this morning at Christ Point, for those watching at home, I pray that your spirit will work in our hearts and in our lives, that you would form and shape us into the people uh, that you have called us to be, and that you would do it for your namesake. God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. You may have a seat. Good morning, Christ Point. Hope you are well this morning. Uh, just a couple of quick announcements before we finish the book of James. Uh, number one, we shared a couple weeks ago that Mecklenburg County had informed Donnie that they wanted us to be out of the barn by the middle of December. Uh, Donnie had recently uh, sold this property to Mecklenburg County, and so the county had asked for us to be out by mid-December. We formed a team that would look for our next place in space uh, as we transition, hopefully, into a permanent facility. Uh, this week, we spoke with the county, just so you know. Uh, our, our hope and our prayer is that this wouldn't be a closed door for us. As that team was meeting a couple weeks ago, uh, Brandon shared with the group after we batted around a bunch of ideas, Brandon said, boy, it sounds like the best place for us to be is right here. And uh, <laughs> we're like, yes and amen. So uh, last week we had a couple of conversations with, with the county. Uh, we're hopeful, we're praying that we might be able to stay. Nothing's definitive yet, but we're grateful that at least that ball is rolling and we're, we're talking to some decision makers uh, with the county. So uh, be praying. We believe that God is the ultimate decision maker. Uh, and so pray that this might remain an open door for us. And if not, if God has another place for us, uh, then pray that that would be abundantly clear to us. Uh, we also shared with you about a month ago that we are raising funds for a permanent facility. Uh, we purchased six and a half acres of land adjacent to this barn last year with the hopes that we would be able to build. Uh, a, a few weeks ago, we shared with you what it's going to take for us to break ground. Uh, we need $398,000 as a down payment. We have two financial institutions that have agreed to loan us the money, but we, uh, we need to come up with that down payment. And so we asked our church body uh, if they would partner with us and joyfully give. Uh, commitments are due next Sunday. There's a couple of ways that you can make us aware of that commitment. Uh, there is a, a little card in the back that looks like this. This little guy right here, if you could fill this out, fill out the back and place it in the black offering box uh, in the back, uh, at least by the end of Sunday next week, uh, we would encourage you to do so. Or you can scan the QR code that is on this as well. Uh, it'll take you to an online form that you could fill out. Or if you have access to the World Wide Web, and I think you do, you could go to ChristPoint.com. Uh, on the front page is a picture of our, our land uh, with all the information uh, that answers many of the questions that our folks have been asking. So I would encourage you, if you haven't visited our website yet, ChristPoint.com, 
uh, and it'll list all the information that you need. If you still have questions after you read through that, you very well might. Uh, please know that the elders will do our best to answer any questions uh, that you might have. But we're really excited to see what God does uh, next week. We're asking our folks to make that commitment and then for those resources uh, to, to be given by the end of October. And so simultaneously, we're thinking about kind of our next steps in terms of place to meet, but also we're looking into the future and uh, prayerfully asking God to do something uh, where we can kind of look back and go, only God uh, could do that. And so continue to be praying along with us. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me to James uh, chapter 5. James uh, chapter 5. We've been walking through uh, the letter that James wrote to the church. This is uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus. And uh, we have been kind of taking our time walking through uh, these passages. The book of James is written to the church. It's a book primarily not about how to become a Christian, but to behave like a Christian. Uh, maybe you found yourself in life asking yourself, what does it look like, just practically speaking, to follow Jesus? Uh, and uh, the book of James really gives us a, a clear picture of what uh, that looks like. James is incredibly uh, practical for your life uh, and for mine. And so I pray that God has been uh, using his words uh, to form and shape uh, your heart. Uh, something tells me that if you are here this morning, uh, then you are sitting next to someone uh, who is suffering. I know that's a bold statement, but uh, if you are sitting next to another human being, uh, you are sitting next to someone who has suffered, who is suffering, or will suffer in the days ahead. Uh, no one is immune. Uh, if you are here this morning and something tells me that you might be sitting next to someone uh, who is celebrating, uh, you are sitting next to someone who has had some experience in their life where they are thinking to themselves, yay, God, right? This is a good day. If you had their level of joy, you might even look a little undignified. Uh, you likely are sitting next to someone uh, this morning uh, who has been or is or will be sick. You might be sitting next to someone this morning who received a phone call uh, this last week. If you had received the same news, it would take your breath away. Uh, this morning, you're likely sitting next to a sinner. You're sitting next to someone who you would look at and they are all uh, dressed up on the outside and they're all messed up on the inside. Uh, if, if you knew the things that they thought about or said or did, it would make you blush. And this morning, you are sitting next to a saint. Uh, you are sitting next to someone whose life uh, is being changed by the God of the universe, if you saw them the same way that God saw them, uh, you would never look at them the same. As James closes his letter to the church, James addresses each of these groups, each of these individuals. Uh, I want us this morning to walk through James chapter 5 and unpack what James writes to the church as he talks about responding to the reality of life uh, in the world that we live in. Uh, James does so in James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. And so you can turn with me there. If you have your Bible app out, you can uh, pull it out, go to Christ Point uh, Church, 
and follow along that way, or uh, the passage will be on the screen as well. Uh, James writes to the church and says, Is anyone among you suffering? Uh, Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Uh, Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save those uh, save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Uh, the prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. Verse 19, my brothers, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Uh, James asks three questions in the text. The first one is, is anyone suffering? And the answer, of course, is yes. Yes. If, if we were to do a survey this morning and go around and ask if you have suffered or if you are suffering, then each and every person here this morning would say yes. Their, their suffering would look different. It would not be the same as yours. It may not be the same as the suffering that took place when James wrote this book. Um, but all of us have uh, been struck by life. Right? All of us at one point or another have felt punched. All of us have felt the wind uh, being taken out of our sails. We have felt out of breath. So James writes uh, to a church that is suffering. And this has been a theme that James has written about throughout his letter. He said in James chapter 1, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so James writes to the scattered church, a church that is not politically strong per se, nor are they influential. The church is maligned. They are in the margins. Um, They are not important in uh, the world's eyes. They are being uh, oppressed by the rich landowners uh, who are leaving them high and dry. Uh, Needless to say, not all of life is sunshine and rainbows. Uh, rainbows for the people of God. And so what does James call this suffering group to do? What does he call uh, you and me to do? He says simply, pray. Are you suffering? Pray. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems a little overly simplistic to me. (laughs) I mean, it sounds like an answer that we would give here in church Uh, If you were to go over to CP Kids Chapel this morning and ask those 25 kindergarten through fifth graders, what should you do if you're suffering? I bet you a great number of them would say, we should pray. Uh, And yet, as simple as it may sound, as overly simplistic, uh, James encourages the church to do just that. 
Uh, the word here that is used for prayer is the most common word for prayer in the New Testament. It occurs over 80 times. Uh, the word used for prayer here is so general that its meaning and application in terms of the content of what it is we're actually supposed to pray uh, is not known. Uh, perhaps James meant that we should pray that God would remove our suffering. I don't know if you've ever been in a bind before, if you have ever suffered, but more than likely you have prayed that God would remove the trial. Uh, and yet, oftentimes in Scripture and oftentimes in James's writings, he doesn't pray that the trial uh, would go away, but that the trial would produce something uh, in you and in me. Oftentimes, God doesn't want to remove us from the trials. He wants to change us in the midst of the trial. Uh, that may not come as good news this morning. It doesn't always feel like good news. Uh, but God is doing a good work in you if you are suffering this morning. If you are suffering this morning, pray. If your trial feels small and insignificant or even unimportant, then go to God and pray. If your trial feels overwhelmingly weighty, then go to God and pray. If your trial seems insignificant in the grand scheme of things, then go to God and pray. If it feels like God has more important things to worry about, go to God and pray, regardless of what it is, regardless of whether it seems big or small, go to God. Why? Why do we go to God? Well, we go to God uh, because God cares. Uh, God is not a distant father. God hears our prayers. He's not distant. He's not detached. He is not uninterested. God cares about you. Uh, when you suffer, when you experience hardship in life, God cares about your particular situation. Whether you feel like you've gotten in your situation because of poor choices you have made or whether or not you feel like you are in that situation because the world around you is broken, regardless of what brought you there, go to God and pray. He cares for you. If you are suffering, go to God in prayer. And then James asks, is anyone cheerful? Is anyone cheerful? Is anyone happy? Is anyone rejoicing? How many times can you look back in life and go, man, that was, a, that was a good season for me. That was a good day for me. I remember when God worked in my life in that particular way, and, and, and you just are so full of joy. Maybe there's been a season in your life that has gone so well that you've looked over your shoulder because you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're going, certainly, it can't stay so good for so long. God is gracious, and there are times when uh, he gives to us and brings to us an unusual amount of joy. Maybe he supplies a need in an unexpected way. Maybe he provides a new opportunity for you or an open door. Maybe he sends a friend uh, just when you need one. Uh, maybe God uh, opens a door for you or he just shows up and speaks to you in a unique way and your heart is encouraged. If you are there this morning, if anyone is cheerful, James encourages us 
uh, to praise God. Specifically, he encourages the community to sing songs of praise. The, the Greek word that is used here for praise is the same word that we use to translate the word psalm. A psalm, uh, or the verb here, means, means to sing. And usually, particularly in the New Testament, it means to sing a song of praise to God. Uh, the New Living Translation of Scripture translates it continually sing praises to the Lord because it literally means to continue to sing praises to uh, the Lord. If life is going well for you, if, if the wind feels at your back and you are experiencing a measure of joy, then praise God. It's interesting, the word that is used here is used in the Old Testament as someone uh, who would sing with a stringed instrument. I thought about this morning as I, I watched Henry and Dan play their stringed instruments. I thought, man, they, they get a head up on the competition because they're praising the Lord. Uh, when life is good, uh, praise the Lord, worship Him. It may sound unusual that we would need a reminder to praise God uh, when life is good, but I don't know about you, but sometimes it's when life is going particularly well that it's easy uh, for us to forget God. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. I mean, it seems like when things are going well, that should be the very time that we remember God's grace and his goodness to us. Uh, and yet oftentimes it's when life is going well that we have a tendency to forget. It's one of the reasons that God in Deuteronomy chapter 6, as he was speaking to uh, his people as they were, they were about to enter the promised land, uh, he gave them this reminder. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 10, When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give to you, a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then when, you're, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery." Isn't that interesting? I think one of the challenges that we have as the people of God is not remembering uh, the Lord when life is difficult or when we are suffering, but remembering God when things are good. Um, when, when, when things are good, when life is good, when things are going our way, that can be one of the most dangerous times in the Christian life. Like we, we let our guard down, we can become prideful, we can pat ourselves on the back. Uh, we can uh, forget God. And so James writes to the church and essentially says to them, dear, dear church, if anyone is cheerful, if anyone is rejoicing, praise God. And then he continues in verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Uh, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. I've got to be honest with you. When I read this text, I have lots of questions. I have lots of questions, and all of the questions uh, the Bible can handle, 
God can handle them. I don't know about you, but sometimes I bring my questions to the text and other times I read a text and the text causes me to ask more questions. Um, this is one of those texts that quite honestly, I read it and I think, boy, I, I've got some questions. Like I wonder when I read it about the purpose of anointing someone with oil. I don't know what church tradition you came from. I don't know if you read that and you go, that seems very normal to me. But, but it doesn't strike me as normal. Right? That, that, that's different from some of the church traditions that I was brought up in or I ran with. So I read that and I go, is that, like, do, do, do we still do that? Like, or, sh- should we do that? Or was that something for 2,000 years ago? I, I read this text and I wonder, what is, the, like, what is this prayer of faith? Is, is this a prayer that if we figure this thing out, that, that all sickness will go away, that we'll, that we'll be healed? Like, I, I, I wonder, is the, the person experiencing sickness dependent upon someone coming and praying this kind of prayer over them in order for them to be made well. I wonder, is this, a, is this a promise for everyone? Like, is this supposed to work all of the time? Like, if you're sick, you call the elders, anoint with oil, and then, like, God heals, always. Or do results vary? I wonder when I read this passage, what is the connection between um, sickness in suffering and sin. Because James writes to the church and, and, and says, you know, if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. And so it seems like James is making some connection with sin and sickness or, or sickness and suffering and, and sin, our decisions that we've made. So needless to say, and maybe I should not have shared with you all of my questions, but I, <laughs> like I think those things when I read this. And so sometimes when I come to Scripture and I have a bunch of questions and I don't immediately have all of the answers to all of my questions, I try to take a step back and I go, well, what, like what, what are we confident of? Like what do we know for sure? And so I did that this week. I just thought, James, what do, you, what do we know for sure? Well, I know for sure that it is good and right for us to invite leaders in the church to pray for us when we are sick. Like, when we're sick, when we get sick, our response should be just as quick, we should be just as quick to, to call an, an elder, a leader in the church to go, hey, will you pray for me? Just as quick to do that as we are to, to post it on Facebook. I mean, what is your first response when you get sick? I mean, is, is prayer your first response or is it your last resort? I have to be honest with you. Um, oftentimes, uh, when, when I get sick, regardless of what it might be, something big or small, my first response is to go straight to the one with the answers. WebMD. They have the answers. I research, man. I hit that World Wide Web and I quickly make a determination that whatever it, it is that I have will likely lead to a quick death by the end of the day. 
I'm almost certain. Or if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm desperate, if I'm in a bind, if I don't have the answers, I go, James, call a medical professional. I'll, I'll get the opinion of a medical professional. I'll, I'll listen to them and I'll determine whether or not what they are telling me aligns with my 20 minutes of research that I did online. Hopefully, I get a prescription, I go home, I oftentimes put on my pajama bottoms with my hooded sweatshirt, I take a nap, I order chicken noodle soup, and I drink enough orange juice to cause a shortage in Florida. Because listen, my mom always told me growing up, regardless of what I had, James, you need your vitamin C. Like, you need your vitamin C. So that's what I do. Oddly enough, oddly enough, my, my first response isn't, isn't always to immediately pray. And I, and I wonder, I wonder uh, if it should be. Uh, don't get me wrong, modern medicine is, is wonderful. I mean, the fact that we can do research, the fact that we can sit in front of a medical professional is a, a gift of God's common grace. You know, that he's given us wise men and women who can answer our questions. Uh, just this other week, I was talking to a, a gentleman that I know who was diagnosed with a heart condition that 100 years ago would have meant the end of his life. And, uh, and now he, he can take medicine that allows him to, to live a, a normal life. I mean, what a gift. You know, what a gift. So I'm not knocking medical professionals. But, but it seems like there's something in Scripture where, where the, the people of God, when we experience sickness, where God just wants us to come to him. This is one of the things that I think about when, when we go to Honduras and oftentimes we'll go to local villages and we'll talk to people. It seems like every house we go to, someone is sharing about uh, a medical issue that they are facing. And uh, almost to the person, they say, we, we, we can't see a doctor, we can't get to a doctor, we can't afford a doctor. And so, and so what do they do? They ask for prayer. And there's just something about that, that place of, of need and dependency where for us, even though it doesn't seem ideal, uh, it does seem appropriate. Like we, we go to the one who can make us well. And so God's word calls us to pray when we are sick. So it seems like this passage is teaching that when we are sick, we invite the elders, we invite leaders in the church to come and to pray for us. I think that's fair. We, we know from the text that healing uh, lies in the hands of our great God, of the great physician. Look at verse 14 and 15 again. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. The use of oil in uh, the ancient world was actually fairly common. Um, the function of the oil wasn't always uh, medicinal. There was, there was times when it was used as a sign to set someone apart. Like, Lord, we're setting this person apart for, uh, for a task. In Mark 6, 13, uh, the disciples are ministering amongst the people, and it talks about how they anointed the sick with oil. When you read the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter uh, 10, the Samaritan, when he finds the man who was beaten, anoints the man with oil and with wine. And so there's other places in Scripture where we read about the use of oil. Uh, but, but oil isn't magic. 
Um, the prayer is offered and oil is applied in the name of the Lord. And so there is this recognition, even in this prayer, uh, even in anointing someone with oil, where we're, we're trusting uh, in the name of the Lord. We're, we're trusting in the power of God to bring healing uh, to this person. The, the healing isn't solely dependent upon someone's faith. Faith is important, but faith is fickle. Um, the, the strength of our faith kind of comes and goes. Um, the, the, the faith or, or the ability for someone to experience healing isn't in specific words that are, are said or spoken. Instead, the power is in the object of our faith. And the object of our faith is the one that we are praying to. Right? We are praying to Jesus, we are praying to the Father, and we are trusting that He is going to hear our prayers uh, and that He is going to raise that person up. And the, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And so we, we know that there are times when, uh, when God heals people. That's the third thing that we notice in the text. We know that God heals. And there are times when God heals someone physically. There are times when God heals someone spiritually. Uh, but God heals. There are times when so-called medical mysteries are God miracles. Right? There, I know there's, there's people in your church family. I've heard too many stories in life to not believe that God heals. I mean, there, there are stories where people go, hey, they, they ran the test they looked at the scan, and on Tuesday, this is what they saw. And I went back the next week on Thursday, and it was gone. I've heard those stories before, stories where you shrug your shoulders and you're going, I, I don't know what happened. It's like the blind man. He's like, this is what I know. I was blind, now I see. And God does that. There are times in, in life where he miraculously heals people. I think the, the, the danger or what causes us to be cynical is because everyone has a story seemingly that's just the opposite. Like, I, I mean, I prayed for her and she did not get well. Or I, I prayed for him, and he did not get well. And if we're not careful, what, what that can cause in our hearts, in us, is for us just to be cynical. To go, yeah, like, whatever, man, like, I, I, I know how this works. I've told you this story before. When I was a, a little kid, my, uh, my grandfather was diagnosed with cancer. I was uh, maybe five or six years old at the time. And I, uh, <clears throat> you know, I didn't understand everything that was going on, but I remember my, you know, my dad telling me that my grandpa was sick, and um, and I remember asking him like, if it, it was, it, is it bad? Like, is grandpa gonna gonna die? And and my dad was like, well, yeah, I mean, it's like it's it's pretty bad, and you know, there's not me like medically speaking, there's not a lot of hope. But I remember going, but I mean, like, God can heal him, right? Like, I was so it was like, well, like God can heal him. Right. I remember as, as a kid, I, I uh, wrote a, a prayer. I wrote a little prayer on 
a piece of paper and I put it in, in my suitcase in my closet because I was like, I just want to make sure that the Lord's getting this thing. And so I'm like, I'm going to write it on a sheet of paper. I'm going to put it in the suitcase. I'm going to put it in the closet. And then, and then I'm going to look for it like the next day or maybe I'll give God like three to five business days and I'll pull it out. And if the paper's gone, like I'll know he got my prayer, you know. And uh, so, so I remember that. I remember just being a little kid and just believing like believing that, that God was going to heal my grandfather. Like not, not doubting. Like it was like, well, God can do it, of course. Of course he can. And, um, and he didn't heal my grandfather the way that I prayed that he would. Uh, he is fully and completely healed now. But, but that's, God didn't answer the prayer the way, the way that I wanted him to. But when I think back upon that story, do you, you know what I miss? Like, like I miss the little boy that just believed. You know, and sometimes in life, we, we have, we, we get, <laughs> we just experience life in a fallen world. And we get a little cynical and we start looking at the statistics. And we go, well, there's, you know, you know 90, 97% of these things work out pretty well. And I, I just, like, I wonder as is, is is a church what it wouldn't look like if we just had, like, some more of that, like, five-year-old little, little boy, little girl in us that was like, well, yeah, God, like, of course God can do that. Uh, God, God heals. God heals people. I know that. Uh, and I know that God forgives. James notes in James chapter 5, if he has committed uh, sins, he will be forgiven. Um, not every time someone gets sick is, is because they did something wrong. We know this, right? I mean, we, there's plenty of stories in Scripture where someone has an illness or someone has a sickness and, and, and people try to connect their sickness or illness with something they've done and uh, oftentimes they're rebuked for it. I think, I think of Job, I think of the man who was born blind, where God's like, no, I'm doing something here that you don't understand. And people are trying to connect their condition uh, to, to something that they've done. And Scripture goes, don't, don't do that. Uh, and th there, there are also times in Scripture where there seems to be this, this connection with our, our pursuit or our chase after a lifestyle or a sin and an unwillingness to repent where, where it's, almost, it's almost as if God is getting our attention. And, and he wants us um, to, to kind of do business in our own hearts. There's something that we're holding on to that, uh, that he wants us to let go of. That's the only way that I can explain why, why James says if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So, so what is our response when we experience sickness or, or suffering? James says, confess your sins and pray for one another. I, I love this passage here in verses 16 and, and 17 and 18 because initially when, when someone was experiencing sickness, James writes to the church and says, hey, call the elders. Well, he didn't say call the elders because they didn't have phones. He's like, call the elders, call the elders and have them pray for you. But here he says, confess your sins one to another uh, or confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. 
So it's, it's not as if within the church there are just a couple spiritual special forces or elite people that somehow can bend God's ears better or more effectively than the people of God. Yes, we're encouraged to do that. But here it just says, pray for one another that you may be healed. And I know what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, well, like, who, who am I? Like, who am I to pray for my friend, for the one that I love? Like, I'm a, I'm a nobody. Come on, I'm a nobody. These stories in the Bible, they are about super Christians. They're a unique breed. They are unlike any men or women that walk the planet today. But that's not what James said. He said, confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Then, then look at verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah was he, was, he was a man. He was a, he was a mere mortal like you and me. He lived in a broken and fallen world like you and I did. I wrote in my notes that Elijah put his pants on one leg at a time. And then I thought, wait a second, he probably wore a tunic. And so he put his, put his tunic on like everyone else did. Like he, just, he was just, he was a guy. And God used him in significant ways. But Scripture says he was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Like, whoa. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Isn't that amazing? I had a, a seminary professor who had a, a son with Down syndrome, and he would tell stories uh, about him in, in class oftentimes. And he told this story. They loved going fishing together. And he told the story about a time when he went fishing in Texas, and they uh, drove to the lake, and they, they looked up in the sky, and they saw that the, the clouds were dicey. There was a storm coming in. And they were just trying to get in a little bit of fishing anyway. And so they, they walked to the water's edge, and they, you know, they put the bait on the, on the lure or whatever, and casted it out into the water. And literally, just as they were doing it, the skies opened up, and it just started to pour, like a Texas thunderstorm. And it just, <laughs> just was a nasty storm. And so, so Dr. Pine, like, quickly grabs his pole and grabs his tackle box and buttons everything up, and he turns around, and he starts going back to his, to his truck, starts going back to his car. And he stops for a second because he realizes his son is not next to him. And he turns around and he looks at his son and his son had walked to the water's edge and raised up his hands in the sky and said, stop! <laughs> and, I just, I, and I love that picture because, because apparently there are times in life when people walk to the water's edge and cry out to God and go, stop! And it stops. It did not rain for for three years and six months. And then he prayed and God opened the skies. And just think about the, the power of, of prayer. Think about the, the power of the one who answers our prayers. I heard my friend one time say, James, if God were to answer all of your prayers, would you even know it? It's always just like stuck with me. And I just wonder, church, if, if we're going to be a, a people m- m- marked by prayer, 
because we navigate through life, as we navigate even through the season as a church, as we think about, you know, where we're going to meet long term, as we think about, God, like, I mean, we're, we're asking for almost $400,000 in commitments to come in next week, and, and if you could have it by the end of October, that would be great. That's a, you know, that's a lot of money. And I'm going, all right, Lord. And there, like, there's, there's all these things in life that come our way, and I'm just wondering, as, as they come, like, are we going to be a people marked by prayer? Is, is it going to be our first response and not our last resort? Because sometimes we function as if prayer is sort of this last resort. It's, it's one key on a key ring and, and a door that we're trying to unlock. Do you, you ever walk up to a door before and you have like 17 keys on your key ring and you're kind of like, no, it's not that one, it's not that one, it's not, and you're just kind of rifling through all the keys? I feel like we function like that a lot of times. You know, we're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this, I'm going to... I'm going to try medical professionals. Oh, that doesn't work. I'm going, oh, I'm going to try plant-based diet. Oh, that doesn't work. I'm going to try. Oh, that doesn't work. I guess we'll pray. And, and God invites us, he invites us uh, to come before him and allow prayer to be our, our first response and not our last resort. He ends the book with, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, I'll let him know that whoever brings him back Whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul uh, from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Uh, it's my hope and prayer that, that in addition to being a people of prayer, uh, we are a people who chase after people. Right? If, you, uh, if you are living life in such a way where you are on a dangerous path, uh, if you are making decisions that, that would lead to you train wrecking your life, um, it is a good and beautiful thing to be chased after. Uh, if, if someone is pressing in, if someone is stepping on your toes a little bit, if someone is going, hey, I've noticed this or I've seen this or I heard this, and, and they're, they're kind of getting in your, your face about it, um, just know that that's a good thing. Uh, if you're down a, a dangerous path and you're drifting and, and you've turned and you're moving away from the Lord and no one comes after you, then be afraid. Like you, you, you want people, you want people pressing in. You, you want uh, people who will chase after you uh, when you begin to wander away. Uh, James applauds those who do. He says, let, a, let anyone know whoever brings a back a sinner, sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And so church family, if you are here this morning and you're suffering, I mean, it could be anything, seemingly big or small, then pray. And if you are here this morning and you are rejoicing, you are celebrating God's goodness, I mean, lift your voice and praise God. And if you are here this morning and you are sick, then come to the elders uh, come to your brothers and sisters and shake the heavens and ask that God uh, might heal you uh, for his name's sake. Would you pray with me? Father God, we, uh, we love you and we trust you. We thank you that you delight in hearing from your kids. Uh, thank you that you are the God of the universe. You are sovereign over the world. Uh, there's not one square inch of all creation that uh, is not yours. And uh, you are working. You're always working, Lord. And yet I'm, I'm amazed that you still invite us to come before you 
and that you hear our prayers and that you answer them. Uh, Lord, I pray this morning if there are uh, those in our church family who are suffering, uh, they are carrying the weight of something that they don't have the answer to, just a difficult time in life. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that you would stir in their hearts uh, a desire and a longing to come before you. Um, for those who are here this morning who are celebrating your goodness, life is going well. and They've seen you uh, work in some profound and significant ways. Lord, I, I pray that you would uh, stir in their hearts a deep sense of gratitude and that they would praise your good name. And God, if there are those here this morning who are sick and uh, who, uh, who are worried about getting well, I pray that they would come before you and that you would heal them in a very special and unique way uh, even today. Uh, God, if there are some this morning who are wandering from the faith, uh, if they are drifting uh, from you and from your people, Lord, I pray that you would give us the tenacity to go after them and that you would chase them down and that you would arrest their hearts and bring them back. Uh, God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.